Our passage this morning comes from the book of Mark. If you'd like to turn there with me, we'll be starting in Mark chapter 10, in verse 13. The word of God says, And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you once again for yet another Lord's Day and the opportunity to hear from your word. We ask that this morning you would help us to receive your word and your kingdom like children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, you'll have to forgive my voice today. I feel fine. I just sound a little uh, iffy, but <clears throat> hopefully you'll be able to hang in there with it. <clears throat> Let me take a moment first, and from Anna and I, thank you for the pastor appreciation. Um, it is always extremely humbling, uh, <laughs> The, the generosity and kindness of Redeemer to us. And so the beautiful notes that were written, the gifts that were given, um, it, it's hard to express it, but thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts. We, we, we feel that love and are grateful for you. <clears throat> it's been quite a year that we've walked through with Redeemer. Our, our last Sunday at 5515 Penn Avenue was November 6th. So we've come one full year, it's hard to believe, in this place, and in that time have bought this building, um, have said goodbye to Pastor Adam and his family, um, and I could not be more thankful to the, the support, the encouragement, the unity of heart that we've seen from uh, the Redeemer family walking through some big events in uh, church life, and so... Um, you know, it's a joy to be your pastor. I, uh, <laughs> I realize I have a, a good life doing this, and, and I, am, I am grateful for it, like 98% of the time, and that other 2% of the time, I'm just feeling bad for myself, so I need to get over it. So uh, <clears throat> with that, we'll jump in here. Mark, as we've looked <clears throat> at Mark, we, we've seen that it's taken a turn Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. His disciples are called to follow him. And the following him, they're following him to Jerusalem. What happens now happens on the way. And so we've heard this call to discipleship on the way. And so it started with this call to take seriously our Christian holiness. And the backdrop was hell. In light of hell, we need to take serious how we live. And we need to take seriously how we witness, how we live before others, that we would not cause others to stumble, but that they might see the beauty of Christ and the beauty of his kingdom. Moved into chapter 10, and we looked at marriage last week, and sort of its preeminent spot there in discipleship after the call to honor Jesus Christ with our heart and our soul and our spirit, that we would then after that honor our spouse that we would leave father and mother and cleave to them and be loyal to them and honor that relationship. And so we looked at that. Today we're going to look at children. 
we'll look at the end of chapter 10 as it moves to possessions and how we think of our possessions in light of the kingdom of God. But <clears throat> today we look at children. Again, don't tune me out if, if you don't have children. This is for the child. So kids, I want you to listen today. Not that you don't always listen, but I want you to listen today. This is for you, for parents, for the church. There's a lot of theories out there about how we are to think about kids, whether it's parenting or just how we are to think about children. There's not a lot of good theology on how we are to think about children, not because it's not there. We just tend to ignore it because theology doesn't change. The, the, the theories change, the trends change, and they tend to change in such a way to make us adults feel a little bit better about how we are doing parenting. I think the theories kind of fall into three areas that I have encountered. One is that kids, especially I think in our day and age right now, in our American culture, kids have become so central that they almost sort of rule the family. It becomes such a child-centric life that every decision is kind of made to revolve around that child. And yes, a lot of life does revolve around children. It's just the reality of it as you train them and raise them and educate them and entertain them and all that. <clears throat> but I'm surprised how often, I would say more than any other reason, that families leave a church is because they tend to let their six-year-old be the spiritual leader. And if the six-year-old decides it was boring that week, they're moving on and finding something else. And you want to do, we want to take great care, and we do, to, to provide safe and good spots for the kids to learn, to fellowship, and to grow, and to enjoy being at church. But I'm sorry, a child should not be so central that the family life and their spiritual life revolves around the happiness of that child. I think you can kind of swing to the other end of the spectrum, though, where kids just become a drag. You know, Everything you dreamed and hoped for, your kids just stand in the way of it. Vacations aren't any fun anymore. Evenings aren't fun anymore. Mornings aren't relaxing anymore. <clears throat> I have to be honest, I don't feel that way at all about my children, and yet I find myself falling into just the trap of talking to other people that way, where you just start kind of feeling bad about, oh, the kids and do this, and oh, vacation, I need a vacation from my vacation, and and some of that's true. It is hard going on vacation with kids. But they can kind of swing the other way where we just see them more as getting in the way of what we were wanting to accomplish instead of seeing them as blessings. The third trap, and I think I might step on toes. I don't mean to step on toes with this, but <clears throat> is that we think our kids are special. Your kids are special in a way. You're all special in a way. <clears throat> And yes, we'll see in this text, every child is unique. Every child has a specific personality, is an individual before the Lord, and the Lord cares about them as an individual. And even as we raise and train, you know that your kids have different personalities and needs and how you interact with them. But sometimes we start to think our kids are special in a way that gets us out of just applying proverbial wisdom to how we raise them, to how they are to live that the rules don't apply to them. You know, my kid just is an artist. He's artistic at heart, so he can draw on the walls. You know, that's, you know there's an extreme example. 
there's a podcast I'll listen to sometimes, and it's just on Proverbs. Sometimes they're Christian Proverbs or just secular Proverbs. And he begins by saying that how these will help us in our life unless we fall into the trap of thinking ourselves special. That somehow the Proverbs apply to everyone else but not us. And we can sometimes project that onto our children and, and really leave them in a bad spot by not applying proverbial wisdom in their lives. So different theories, but now let's come down. How are we supposed to think about children? Do we have a theology of children? How, as parents, do we think about our child as a person? How about the church do we think about our children? Well, let's see what Jesus thinks about children, and that should inform us. So I want us to think, one, is parents, two, is the church, and then children. I want you to listen What does Jesus think about you? All right. Number one, Jesus loves children. Jesus loves children. You see in our text here, the parents are are bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed, to receive a blessing. The word that Mark uses here for children is just a generic word for children. So it's probably children of a lot of ages. It would suggest they're probably younger because Jesus is taking them in his arms. But Mark uses the term earlier in the chapter for a a 12-year-old girl that he hears. However, if you jump over to Luke and read the parallel passage, the, the term used there is for infants, that he's receiving literally those nursing at the breast. He's receiving infants into his arms. So Jesus loves these children. That's the word that is used there. <clears throat> you got to understand what we have is a countercultural situation here. Why would the disciples react like they do? We highlighted this a few weeks ago, but in this culture, children weren't the central focal point like we sometimes think of them now. It was a very outside of like a parent with the child, people related to that child in a very utilitarian way. There wasn't a lot of affection. Infant mortality, children died so often that there wasn't a lot of investment in relationships with them. And then what they needed was workers. They needed people to help the family get out there in the field and do some work. And so it was a much more utilitarian relationship, at least as far as the community went with these children. Christianity really brought a countercultural message to how we understand and treat children. So it's not surprising in one sense that the disciples come and tell these adults, you need to stop doing this. Jesus is a big deal. He's busy. There's a lot of people that want to talk to him. You need to get out of the way. He says they rebuke the parents for bringing the kids. This is the second time that the disciples have rebuked somebody and gotten in trouble. Remember they rebuked the the man who was casting out demons but wasn't part of their group. So they rebuke him here. However, when Jesus sees it, it says that he becomes indignant. That is that he had much grief. He became indignant. The only time the word is used about Jesus. And he says, <coughs> he's communicating, no, don't hinder them from coming to me. These children are not a nuisance. They're not a bother. Let the children come to me. Let them come. 
We've seen this in Jesus' life and ministry to this point, even as he, a lot of the miracles involve children. You remember the one little girl that has died, he comes and he, he says to her, Talita Kumi, that little girl, arise. It's a very affectionate term, kind of, sweetheart, get up. We've seen Jesus' affection towards children in his ministry to this point. So kids, I want you to listen for a minute. Jesus loves you. He does. He cares about your problems. He cares about the things you're scared of. He cares to give you courage. When you pray to Jesus, he listens to you. Sometimes parents get distracted, adults get distracted, and they don't listen. Jesus listens, and he cares. As a unique individual, Jesus cares for you. He gives us courage. He loves us no matter what. What lesson do we learn, the rest of us, from that? God loves us. He is totally a God whose love is without respect of persons. That is, no matter how insignificant you might feel, no matter how few people it seems that your life impacts, even though I'm sure the impact is greater than you realize, Jesus doesn't see you as insignificant and not worth his time and his love. He doesn't put it on a scale of like, you know, the disciples, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? They're arguing. He doesn't look at you that way. It's not that, you know, someone else who's a bigger deal on this earth, that Jesus is much more significant to Jesus in the way he loves them and cares for them. That's not the case. And your problems aren't insignificant to Jesus. Your problems might not affect the economy or the community or a whole company or something. It doesn't make them insignificant to Christ. I think sometimes it's such a simple message. God loves you. Jesus loves you. But it's true. It's true. When we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, it is a reality. And for those working with children, I've made this application one other time, but I'm going to make it again. It's not like a throwaway ministry. It's important work caring for the children, ministering to the children. And it's not just for the parents to give them a you know, 45-minute break while they listen. To instruct the children in the Word, to, to start shaping little hearts and minds, to demonstrate the love that Jesus has for them, to demonstrate that to them. It's not just like you're not, you know, talented enough to teach adults, so go to the kids. That's <laughs> not how it works. I, I get it. it's not always like a huge blast and blessing to be in there with a bunch of crying kids all the time. But it is not insignificant, and it is not a small thing, and it mirrors Jesus' affection towards the children. So thank you. Be encouraged in that ministry. <clears throat> Jesus loves children. Secondly, the kingdom of God belongs to children. The kingdom of God belongs to children. Jesus here is affirming their, their personhood, their spirituality. He cares for these souls and values them. 
Sometimes people are worried where this argument's going to go, so they don't want this verse to say what it says. And they read it more like this, that the characteristics of these children have a spiritual parallel. If you happen to have that spiritual parallel, then the kingdom belongs to you. But that's not what the text says. That's kind of what verse 15 says, but that's not what verse 14 says. It is saying to such belong the kingdom. It, it would be like, I, I live in Morningside, like the neighborhood right next to East Liberty here, about a mile up the road. And I had the privilege of coaching one of the seven and eight-year-old soccer teams uh, this year. We were the red team. Zulinski Funeral Home was the name of our team. That's who was our sponsor. So we were a real bummer. Everyone else got like Eddie's Pizza House, Bulldog Pub, and we were, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but we were the funeral home team. <clears throat> Anyways, if I'm encouraging them after the game, and one of the little kids, let's say Theo, he was a kid on our team, so I come up to him and he played a good game, and I say, Theo, that was <clears throat> such a good game. I get everyone together and say, that right, that's the kind of effort and hustle that it's going to take to win the game. That's the kind of attitude and hustle that we need. I'm not saying, you know, Theo, I'm not talking about you, but if we did stuff like Theo, that would be good. No, I'm including Theo in it. When I say such is the hustle and energy that we need in order to win the game, I'm including him in it. That's what Jesus is doing here. So these parents, they're coming to Jesus. They're bringing their little ones the parents, a public sort of demonstration of their own faith as they come to Jesus with their little ones, bringing them. And Jesus says, do not hinder them because to such belong the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, its rule and its reign. The revelation of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Submission to the king, fellowship with God. Jesus and the kingdom belong to these little ones. He speaks this to the disciples. He encourages the parents who are coming with the children to bless them. Now again, <clears throat> I know some people are, don't feel like, okay, so is the conclusion of that then that I'm saying these children are automatically bound for eternal life and salvation no matter how they live and act from this point forward? No. He's, don't, don't replace the term, don't merge everything. He's, when he says the kingdom of God belongs to them, he's not saying justification and regeneration belong to them. He's saying the, the, the king, the text is not saying irrespective of their response that they are guaranteed salvation. So again, don't, don't skip out on the text because you're afraid of a conclusion. But what he is saying is that to these little ones belong the kingdom to the parents his covenant faithfulness to the parents extends to these little ones and then it says as he continues there let the children come to me verse 14 <clears throat> do not hinder them for to such belong the kingdom of God truly I say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it and he took them in his arms and he blessed them <clears throat> laying his hands on them Jesus blesses these children. That's not a throwaway comment. We've, we've looked at his divine benediction already. He blesses 
these children. That's a fatherly benediction. He's taking up the priestly order from the Old Testament. He lays his hands on the children and he blesses them. That divine benediction that God is on their side. That God is for them, not against them. That God smiles upon them. His face shines upon them. So in this fatherly, priestly stance towards the children, he blesses them. I know the other thing everyone's kind of, well, some people may be nervous about is baptism. This is a reason why we baptize children here. It's because if, if the fellowship, if the communion, if the kingdom of God belongs to them, then they, should they then receive the sign associated with it? Should we welcome them into the church family? In fact, a lot of baptismal liturgies included it for many, many years. And I know there's some from different traditions and backgrounds and, and feel that it's proper to wait for the child to make their own sort of mature confession of faith. And as a church and leadership, we rejoice and are pleased to baptize older children, adults, whatever. But this is one of the arguments that lies behind baptism. But, but even if you're not convinced of baptism, this text isn't necessarily a baptism text, even if you're not convinced of that, I do hope you'll at least rejoice in, in this truth that Jesus not only has a special love for your children, but they have a special position in the kingdom of God as members of your covenant family, as parents who belong to Christ, you can say this little one, our family belongs to the Lord, belongs to his kingdom. This is not a child of the world. Again, does this one need, do we pray for this one to lay hold of Christ by faith? Am I saying irrespective of his life and faith going forward? No, I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is what Christ is saying here is that this child belongs to the kingdom. That's why we raise them and train them as the Ephesians would tell us that they would obey their parents in the Lord. So again, just my encouragement, don't get stuck on the other arguments and lose the blessing of Christ's love for children and of the special place of covenant children in position before the Lord. Then thirdly, our final point is that no one can enter the kingdom that does not receive it like a child. So Jesus takes, he makes the statement in verse 14, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. And then he turns and he makes this teaching statement from it. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I think what Jesus is highlighting here isn't their innocence or the purity of their faith. It's not the virtue of the children that he's highlighting, but he's highlighting their weakness, their helplessness, that they come with nothing, they come with empty hands. In fact, he's going to juxtaposition this with the rich young ruler in our next text, Someone who comes with great possessions and he says, man, it is nearly impossible for someone with all of this stuff, all of this accumulation and importance to enter the kingdom of God because you have to enter the kingdom of God like this little child who brings nothing, who is ready to receive a gift. 
So the child comes with nothing in their hands. They come with no standing. They're not coming based on their own merit, on their own accomplishments. But nothing in their hands they bring. <laughs> they simply receive. We see this throughout the gospel this, of Mark. This has been the theme of how we come and enter the kingdom of God. Each and every one of us. <clears throat> you remember the lady who had the hemorrhage of blood for 12 years. She had spent all her money on other doctors trying to get them whole. She had nothing left to spend, nothing left to give. She's coming desperate and empty-handed. And Jesus makes her whole. The leper, you remember, he lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his community of worship. He lost his community. He was an outcast, sent outside so that in isolation, being unclean, he would be there until he died. And Jesus touches him and makes him whole. He had nothing to bring, nothing to offer. You realize all of us enter the kingdom that way. No matter how important you are in the business world, no matter how much success you have, no matter how much notoriety you have, or no matter how worthless you may feel, we all come the exact same way with nothing in our hands. We've seen the disciples, they haven't got it yet because they're fighting. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? He said, you want to be the greatest and be a servant of all. Be made low. Be the last shall be first, the least. If your confidence is placed in <clears throat> anything else besides Jesus Christ and him alone, you're coming the wrong way. Probably our best example of it we've seen, if you remember back in chapter 7, is a Syrophoenician woman. Remember, she comes and she begs that her daughter might be healed. And Jesus says, well, she's a Gentile woman. Jesus says, if you remember, well, I need to feed the children first before I would feed the pets. Almost this insulting type of language. And what does the lady do? Does she stand up and say, how dare you? I deserve your goodness. I deserve your grace. I'm as good as that person. No, she enters into this parable with Jesus and she says, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I don't deserve it. But she's still assertive. She still asks for it, not based on her, good, her own goodness of what she deserves, but she comes and asks, oh, what I don't deserve, give me on the basis of your goodness. You're right, I accept the fact that it is, I have no claim on it. But I come and I approach you wholly and completely upon your mercy and your grace. And you remember Jesus' answer, he goes, what an answer. The, the lady got it, what an answer. That's how we come, like this lady, that's how we come, like the smallest of children with nothing in our hands to bring. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the table. And the table for us is a picture and a reminder of just that very thing, that we come to receive. We remember a work done for us, accomplished by Christ. We come to receive of the blood, of the body. We, we, we remember a once and for all sacrifice. It's not something we can earn. You don't merit your way to the table. 
It's not something you can pay for. Whoever you're sitting next to, they're taking and saying, well, the exact same reason you are. No matter where you put yourself on important scale or how high your faith is, all across Pittsburgh and America and the world, people are coming to the table in the exact same way. Empty hands resting on the accomplishments of Jesus Christ, just like a child would. And so as we come, we remember his sacrifice on our behalf. And we rest, not just from our work and our labors, but we rest from our thinking we can accomplish something in our work and our labors, and we become totally dependent on his finished, completed work for us. And we all come the same way, with empty hands to receive abundantly from a gracious and giving Savior. So my, in just a moment as we take the table, we do it that way, remembering not to beat ourselves down, but as we come lowly as a servant of all, he says that's what greatness is. That's who the kingdom belongs to. That is the one that he will exalt. Jesus loves the children. The kingdom belongs to them. Let us learn from them that none of us enter the kingdom except like they do and that is with empty hands let us pray lord we thank you for your word <clears throat> lord we thank you for its power might we receive it lord we pray that lord you would take it and press it upon our hearts lord take what was true in the proclamation of it and then press it upon the hearts of your people. Lord, we thank you <clears throat> for the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. We do not add anything to that, not our works, not the strength of our faith. Nothing is added to it, but we rest wholly upon the work of Jesus Christ. instrument's going to play through a song as we transition to the table.